Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Damn! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. It feels like we're in a bit of a sports lull, but the reality is we aren't. NHL and NBA finals are still going or just started, it's July, don't ask me why. Major League Baseball All-Star Game is coming up. Probably means that the ESPYs are coming. The last golf major is fast approaching. NIL is a reality, a crazy reality. We don't have that on the docket this week, but we'll probably need to talk about that some more coming up. College Football Conference media days are actually fast approaching. And the 2020, not 2021, 2020 Olympics finally get started in just a few weeks. All that means there should be no shortage of topics to cover to tide us over until college football officially starts, and that's what we really want to talk about. For now, let's dive right into the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Yeah, I'm going to start today talking about one of our Detroit teams, the one that has the first pick up here in a few weeks, the Detroit Pistons. Please, sincerely from every fan of of the Pistons, do not screw up the number one pick like the Lions would. Please don't do this because there have been rumors going around that maybe you won't pick Cade Cunningham with the first pick. Uh, maybe you're going to trade it. Who knows? So I, you can't, you can't do that. You have to pick Cade here first overall, or you get some sort of really, really good trade where you're getting guys that are going to help right away. It's not some BS where you're going to get other draft picks. Maybe some guy that could maybe help. No, you need to try to start winning now because you've seen the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns shop guys, and they're in a win-now situation. Now they're in the NBA Finals. Two years ago, they were one of the worst teams in the league. Devin Booker was the only guy on that team doing anything, and now they're really good. They're on the verge of winning the NBA Finals, which is insane. But I, I, I just am begging you, Detroit, please do not... Do something stupid here. Cade is the surefire guy at one here. He's a game changer. Um, he's the obvious pick. You know, doesn't even look any further than this. I mean, there's some good bigs like Evan Mobley, and then Jalen Green's a good guard. But those guys are not number one pick material. We don't need any more bigs. We don't need a shooting guard like that. We need a guy that can create right away. And Cade's the guy. So please do not do this and be stupid here, Detroit. You, you might risk losing your whole fan base if you do this. So, sincerely, every Detroit fan speaking. No Darkos. No. <laughs> All right. My take uh, will make some of our listeners happy because they like it when I go down this path. Riley, I'm talking about you. At what point does a line need to be drawn when it comes to personal privacy? 
I'm struck by all these hot mic issues that seem to be plaguing athletes, announcers, reporters, etc. these days. There were just a couple more this week with some ESPN people. I get it. Always be careful what you say and who you say it to. But are we to a point where everything we say is on mic or on camera and can be used against us? Are we so concerned with perfection that we chastise the hell out of every mistake, knee-jerk, fire people, etc.? Do we really think anyone is above a mistake or that the offended haven't themselves pissed off or offended or upset someone at some point with something they said? This woke, cancel culture BS is tired. No, it's exhausted. Hell, I just read a great story on The Athletic about a hockey player who was basically run out of the league because he was the easiest scapegoat of six total guys who had a candid, honest, work bitch session amongst themselves in, in an Uber. Apparently, they didn't tip the driver to his liking. He said something like, F you, under his breath on the video that he was taking. So he shares that dash cam video on YouTube and with the newspaper in Ottawa and Twitter, and it amounts to this guy getting blacklisted from the NHL. Enough is freaking enough. Control over every word a person says is about as commie socialist as it gets. America, we've got a problem. Never mind Houston, we got a problem. America, we've got a big problem. Grow a spine, people. Your sensitivity to what people say when it helps further you is tiring, nauseating, and embarrassing, and I'm tired as hell of it. All right. Moving on to our tee-up of the week. Ryan's going to tell you who, and I will tell you why. Yeah, this week we are going to tee up former Spartan and Steeler and maybe former Chief. I don't even know who he plays for anymore. He's kind of a wild card. Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, it pains me to have to tee up a Spartan, but Le'Veon, just, dude, come on. You're on your now sixth baby mama. Six, were you Sean Kemp? The latest is a basically a self-avowed Insta model, a.k.a. groupie, who has had a lot to say about you recently. You can't keep your mouth shut in general. You're tete-tete back and forth with the che- with Andy Reid. Um, what happened to the best, the beast, and one of the best players ever at MSU in the first few years that you were in the league? Memo to you, Le'Veon. It's time to give up grass, my man. Maybe keep your mouth shut or your snake in its cage. Or minimally, as my old favorite FHC chem teacher Ted Grebus used to say, wrap that rascal. All right, that all out of the way, let's go around the world. Spot number one, and kudos to Ryan for setting us up with these five spots again. I'll, I'll set him up, but he did the uh, legwork on our topics. Spot number one, biggest NFL busts in our lifetime. Ryan, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so this is kind of a fun list looking through guys and remembering, oh, this guy's this guy was supposed to be good and turned out bad. And I'm going to start with a guy that I, I remember um, when the Lions drafted him back, I think when I was probably five or six years old and I thought he was going to be a stud. <clears throat> That's Mike Williams from USC receiver, and he's part of the few years the Lions had a run on receivers and they ended up being bad. I mean, I think it was... Charles Rogers, R.I.P. Roy Williams and Mike Williams, and they all been end up being great. So that start with him. Then a guy that comes to mind, I, I Tampa Bay, and I think it was probably 2014 draft. I want to say they traded up to the second round to pick a kicker, Roberto Aguayo, who was one of the better kickers in the history of of the NCAA. This dude lasted one year in the NFL. 
They cheered up to get this guy. That's a Raiders move to get a and kicker that early. It's just a garbage move, and he's out, he was out of the league after a year. I think he missed nine field goals and like four extra points or something. Never heard of or seen him again since then. Um, horrible pick. Another terrible pick. He's selling maracas. Somewhere. A guy that I, I never thought was good when he played for Penn State, and that's Christian Hackenberg. He's supposed to be like the next coming, the best pro-style quarterback, and he was always garbage for Penn State. And then the Jets picked him, I think. Go figure, the Jets picked him. And he was terrible. Um, Johnny Football I have on there. I mean, uh, what more can I say? I mean, he was terrific in college, won the Heisman. Uh, had a really good second year starting um, for A&M and then got picked by the Browns and did nothing um, and is no longer playing football. He's just kind of dinking around, doing whatever, making headlines left Selling and right. Selling footballs at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, probably. I mean, just a crazy dude, weird. Uh, Say on the quarterback train, go out west, Matt Leinert um, was supposed to be a stud for the Cardinals and didn't pan out to be anything really um, good. He's a good um, analyst on Fox now for football, uh, college and NFL, but just not a good co- or NFL quarterback. Another guy from USC, the butt fumble, Mark Sanchez, didn't amount to anything for the Jets, of course. Um, another guy that didn't amount to anything for the Jets is Geno Smith, but I didn't put him on there. I just thought of him. Um, terrible. Same with the quarterbacks. Troy Smith from Ohio State won the Heisman in 06. Um, then got picked by the Ravens, I believe, and he was just—he did nothing in the league, literally nothing. Um, which is sad because he was a really good college quarterback, but it just another Ohio State guy that has not panned out. And then sticking with that, Dwayne Haskins, another guy that thought that would be really good, and he's not on the team anymore after being a top ten pick or whatever in 2018 or 2017, whatever year that was. Um, a guy that I really liked in college. Uh, was Justin Blackman for Oklahoma State. Really good receiver, just part of that long line of great, great Oklahoma State receivers, and he didn't do anything to Lee. I think he's in jail now, maybe even. Um, got picked for the Jags. Didn't do anything. Um, go over to our buddy RG3, another freaking bust. One good year, then got overtaken by a fourth-round pick from Michigan State named Kirk Cousins, and uh, the rest is history. And now he's like third string for the Ravens or something. Um, Jamarcus Russell, easily probably one of the biggest busts of all time. Number one pick in 2007. Um, there's the infamous story about when he got picked by the Raiders. They they gave him a DVD saying you need to study this this playbook. Um, and he came back the next day and said, "Yep, I, I like all the plays in here." It turns out the CD was blank, and they did it to see what he would. It's like the movie draft react. day. Yeah, and, he, and he, he lied. And he that was kind of a red flag. I'm like, oh, we shouldn't draft this guy. And he lasted two years in the league. I think he started one, and then he was terrible. Another quarterback, Marcus Mariota. I mean, he's been okay. Um, he was okay for the Titans. Now he's a backup for the Raiders. But he was a stud in college, another Heisman Trophy winner that didn't pan out, um, which is kind of sad. I always thought he was talented and a good dude, but – just not NFL type, I guess. Um, running back, first running back I have on your Trent Richardson, a guy that was an absolute animal for Alabama for years. Um, picked by the Browns. I think he had one decent year, and then ever since then, nothing. Uh, absolutely nothing. Another receiver, Laquan Treadwell from Ole Miss. Uh, got picked by the Vikings pretty high in the first round. Didn't amount to anything really. Um, I think he's still bouncing around, but he just didn't pan out. And then I'm going to end with one of our favorite quarterbacks of all time, Joey Harrington of the Detroit Lions. 
kind of got put into a bad situation, but still, he sh- never should have been the first pick in the draft when he was choosing, chosen by Matt Millen and that horrible regime that just epitomizes Detroit Lions football. Those are all, my, all the ones I had. I'm sure there's hundreds of more. We had at least one crossover there. You know, this is obviously can be a little subjective as to you know what qualifies as a bust from person to person. I mean, couldn't you argue that most Lions first round picks in the last forty years have been busts, or basically everybody but Bill, Barry, Megatron, and Stafford, and Stafford, Billy. That is not Bill. Billy Sims, Barry Sanders, Megatron, and Matt Stafford. But for the purposes of this segment, I'm going to say it has to be a top five pick. That was out of the league by the end of their first contract or was never even a factor. And don't worry, Lions fans, not all these are Lions players. I'm going to rank my top five busts from bad to worst. So speaking of the Lions, i got to go with Charles Rogers, RIP Chuck. I will say this. The dude was an absolute freak of a wide receiver. If you didn't see him at Michigan State, go watch some game film. I mean, some of the plays he made, unreal. He had the speed, he had the size, he had hands like catcher's mitts, he had all the tools. Problem was, he broke his collarbone after a great start to his rookie season with the Lions, then came back and I think the next season earlier in training camp broke it again. He got addicted to painkillers, weed, and anything else. He washed out of the league and sadly died fairly recently, a still broken, basically homeless man. Sad, sad story. You know, his wasn't for being a big miss on talent like some of these other guys that are going to follow. It was that, as all too often happens with these guys, his posse didn't have his best interest in mind, got mixed up with the wrong people, and sadly uh, fell out. But he's a top five bust because of the talent he had. Number four, Lawrence Phillips from Nebraska. A dazzling stud of a tailback from Nebraska in the 90s. He was a walking off-field issue coming in, but the Rams still traded the bus to get him anyway, and he didn't last two seasons. He had a bigger career as a criminal and a prisoner until he sadly took his own life in 2016. He is an absolute case study, and if you see major red flags, don't ignore them. I mean, you name the crime. He pretty much did it. I just How can you ignore that stuff? Anyway, number three. Achilles Smith, quarterback, Oregon. He was a one-hit wonder at Oregon. The Bengals gave up the house to get him, and, well, he sucked. In fact, that was all he was good at, sucking. He was 3-14 and 14 as a starter and played four seasons. Someone in that draft room should have lost a job over their eval of this third pick in 99 because he was epically bad. Following those lines and a guy on Ryan's left, Jamarcus Russell. Like the Lions, the Raiders own stock in being notoriously bad drafters. This dude was also a walking red flag. Not the kind Phillips was, but the worst kind of football red flag you can find. He hated studying. Probably didn't even know how to read, I'm guessing. Something you have to do as a quarterback? Yeah, maybe, kind of. He hated conditioning. Hell, he once came to camp at a beefy 290. That's like a DN. And he had the gall to hold out as a rookie. Yet, he was the first overall pick in 2007, and had he not pissed all of his money away, would still be laughing all the way to the bank for this bonehead move by the Raiders. Number one, Ryan Leaf. I won't say this is where Ryan's name came from, although he's in close proximity 
to that era uh, because it was actually Spartans semi-QB bus named Ryan, as in Ryan Van Dyke, that tipped the scales that way name-wise. But sadly for you, big guy, you share something in common with the worst bust of my lifetime. <laughs> to think it was a debate in that draft between Leaf and Peyton Manning. Imagine if the Colts had taken Leaf instead. Oh, my goodness. The Chargers even traded up to get him. He went a solid 4-14 and as a starter. He missed an entire season due to injury and was just, well, not good. Perfect example of a one-hit college wonder. Had a great senior year or whatever, fourth, third year, fourth year at Washington State. Got a high draft pick because of it because he had the quote-unquote physical tools. Uh, just ridiculous. He, I mean, he's gone through a lot since then, and he's become an outspoken advocate for recovering addicts, so... At the very least, he's a sympathetic figure now, if not the biggest ass bust in NFL history, draft history, that is, in at least my lifetime. All right, moving on. Spot number two, and I'll take this one first. If you could make a movie about a game or a moment in a game, what game and moment would it be and what would you call the movie? I have a feeling, Ryan, and I might have the same one. Maybe we won't, but... I got to admit, this was one that I came up with, but this is a tough one. I mean, I'm just just off the cuff. I'm thinking of things in my head like Tiger at Torrey in 2008, Smoker to Duckett in 2001, Cleaves and O'Pete for the Oop against Iowa State in 2000, Little Giants, Rocket, The Reach, The Stop, all, all the D'Antonio era classics, and so many others flashed to mind as potentials, not just even Michigan State. But for my movie... I'm going to base it off of a book that already recounts the most classic, still hair-raising, joy-inducing 10 seconds in college football history. The book is called The Perfect 10 and recounts this play and each player that was a part of it. Jack Ebling and Joe Rexrode nailed it, so let's make the moment the play the book into a movie. But in homage to another great sports movie, I'm going to call mine Trouble with the Snap. Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, that's a great one. Definitely thought about doing that one. <clears throat> yeah, lots of great moments you could choose from. Um, but I, I settled on Tiger Woods in his comeback um, to golf and eventually winning the 2019 Masters. Um, that, for me, was one of like the cooler things I've ever seen um, in sports, just the way he came back um, after all those years of struggling and personal issues and injury and seeing how much pain he is, especially after watching this documentary and I mean, reading about him, watching him for since I was a little kid. Um, and that would be called Redemption, just plain Redemption, because um, that's what it was. It was Redemption for him, um, just climbing the mountain and getting back to where he um, had always been during his golf career. So keep it short with that. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, let's move to spot number three. Um, thoughts on the match four. Should they do this more often? Should they bring other people in? Let's chit-chat about that. And if you missed it, the match was last night. Um, what date would that be? July 6th. Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers in Bighorn, Montana at one sweet-ass-looking golf course. But, Ryan, I'll let you... Start with your thoughts there. Yeah, I thought uh, I watched most of this um, basically from beginning to end. Um, you know, and the first thing that stuck out to me was Bryson actually had a little bit of personality to him, and which was actually cool to see because obviously people give him a lot of crap, and I'm one of them who's not a huge fan of him um, for just kind of being a meathead and just kind of 
being a know-it-all and whatnot, but he actually showed some personality. He was laughing, having fun. Um, him and A-Rod got along really well, um, which is cool to see. And just the cheer, just like listening to him kind of talk about what he thinks about when he's putting and stuff, that was really cool. And just the dude just obliterates the ball. I mean, you saw his one drive on a downhill hole nonetheless, but he was mad because he didn't get it to 500-plus and he still hit it 480, which is pretty insane. Um, but... Uh, Aaron Rodgers was a surprise in this. I mean, he said he hadn't played in two weeks just to try to get his mind off. He's, he's, a, he's a ringer. I mean, he he's like a three handicap, and he if he had been playing more, I couldn't imagine how much better he would be. I mean, wow. And I just, it was just, like I said, so interesting to hear them talk through shots with with uh, Tom and, and Aaron, uh, Phil and Bryson doing that. I think that was really cool. Um, them reading putts and saying, oh, I'm going to do this, and just kind of hearing the little lessons um, but this golf course was spectacular. Um, the reserve at Moonlight Basin in Big Sky, Montana, um, definitely put that on the bucket list. I mean, you saw bears out there, coyote, um, moose, uh, the whole Mine nine yards. yards. I mean, wow. According but, to Charles, a couple of cougars <laughs> named Olivia and Tanya or something like that. Yeah. Like that. But yeah, that course better get a lot of love after this. I think it will. Uh, but getting back to should they do this more often? Yeah, I think that this is a really cool thing, especially that they raise a lot of money for charity in doing so and give people kind of a cool thing to look forward to and watch. Um, I think this could be a definitely once per year, maybe even twice per year, bringing different guys, different celebrities to play. I think that'd be really fun. I mean, obviously Chuck played in it <clears throat> last time with with Phil um, and Steph was with uh, with um, who was that Peyton last time, and that was. Kind of cool to see. Um, definitely change location. Players are really cool, but I thought Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady were a really good duo. Um, just listening to them, they're back and forth. And then Bryson and and Aaron ended up being good good pair there too. Um, but yeah, it was really fun to watch. Definitely looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I would say I actually enjoyed this one maybe more than the others. Uh, I I did like the one with Phil and Charles, but I liked the definitely a pro with a celeb i guess if you will um <clears throat> and it's something that i like this one the most because i'm i'm like ryan i'm not a big bryson guy um but it was a chance for him to show some personality and i thought he did well with it actually i mean he still is kind of that sciencey geeky guy but you got a little insight into him he he seemed to have a little bit he was a little looser a little bit more, more relaxed and i think he that's a great move for his pr guy um you know, I think that can, you know, maybe continue to help him out a little bit. Maybe shut up some of the, the guys that say Brooksy when he swings, which is ridiculous. This is golf. It's a gentleman's game. It's not the freaking bar, guys. Knock it off. Same with mashed potato guy, whatever. Um, but I'll say one thing. Anything like this with Phil, count me in. I can't wait until he becomes the next great golf color commentator. He's funny. He's smart. He can lay it to you in layman's terms. He's kind of a, a man of the people that way. He makes the same kind of stupid mistakes we make as amateurs. Um, I mean, I think he'd be great at it you know, when he's done playing. Um, the match itself was okay. It was nothing too crazy. The course, like Ryan said, was amazing. Um, the guys weighing in, like Fitz and, and Chuck and some of the other guys that they had come, come on screen, um, were a blast, you know, B.A. Brian Anderson did a great job as well. You know, asking some of the hard questions like, you know, play with the Packers next year, Rodgers, and some stuff like that. Some of the things caught on there, known hot mics, were pretty dang funny. 
I would say give me more Charles Barkley at anything. Dude is just, he's funny. He's also a man of the people, hilarious. Um, you know, just in general, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a fan. Obviously, it's kind of a, it's a good made-for-TV thing when there's nothing else on. I mean, I'm not a big baseball guy or a big NHL guy or a big NBA guy, so we watched it and I enjoyed it. Um, I agree. I do think that this could be a one to two times per year thing. Um, you know, a lot on the actual <clears throat> match, if you watched it, where, you know, they were asking the question about who should play in it again. They wanted Brooks, Bryson with guys, but come on. I mean, we know where that's going to go with people. We don't need to see it. It would be cold. It would be, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun. I mean, the whole thing about this is guys that can be a little self-deprecating and have fun. I do say keep Phil. He's got to be a constant because he just he's got the personality. You know, maybe rotate in like a, a JT or Jordan Spieth, or actually, I'd love to see Ricky Fowler. I think he'd be a blast too. Um, Tony Romo would be a great celebrity. Also, happens to be a stick. He's like a, I think he's a negative handicap. Actually, he's pretty close to qualifying for the U.S. Open. Um, but I definitely think the celebrities have to have equal handicaps because it was clear last night that Aaron Rodgers, while he has far less Super Bowls, has a much better golf game than Tom Brady, who is an 8 that played a little bit more like me as a 15, I would say, last night. All right, spot number four. We're going to go Mount Rushmore here. Best college basketball atmospheres. Playing off our theme from last week with best college football atmospheres. I have not been to nearly as many hoops arenas, so I asked a few friends who have played to get their takes too to weigh in on mine. Ryan, we'll just go back and forth on this. It's not a yep. if you picked it, I can't pick it type of thing. I'll go first. How can I not say the Jack Breslin Student Event Center? I was a part of it for four years, although prior to the Izone, the Judd's Jungle is what it was when I was there. The Izone, in person or on TV, though, when you do get to go to games, comes through so clearly and is a difference maker. That place absolutely <laughs> rocks for a Michigan game or a marquee out-of-conference game. It's just it's nuts how great the Breslin is. Ryan? Yeah, um, my number one um, place that I would like to go to, I hear it's an absolute dump, but um, would be a cool place to watch a game, but I hate the team. Uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, home of Duke Blue Devils. I mean, you see it on TV. The students are right there. It's always loud. Um, I mean, Coach K, leaving after this year, maybe it'll change. I doubt it, though. I mean, they're rabid down there. It's like eight or 9,000. They're not great at at, um, football, so this is their their big-time thing, and that definitely is probably the loudest and most intimidating place to play in college basketball. All right, I'm going to throw a little loop for my second pick, and Ryan can attest to this. DeVos Fieldhouse for a Hope Calvin game. 3,500 people strong and loud, just as loud as any of these other places. Standing room only. The closest rivalry series in college hoops, regardless of level. Make it a Saturday afternoon in an early January or late February sun peeking in. If you haven't been, go. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, my second one was your first one, Jack Breslin. Like you said, uh, for a big game, there's nothing like it. Um, 15,000 strong, just screaming. Last sporting event we went to before COVID, it literally right Ohio before it was the Ohio State game, and that was the craziest I've ever seen that place. Mm-hmm. It was loud. It was it was almost deafening. Um, sellout crowd, senior night, Big Ten championship on the line. 
Um, yeah, that's yeah, that was, second that was special. Um, that's for sure. Second um, My number three, Assembly Hall, Indiana. I have not been there yet, but have watched plenty of game there and definitely have it on my bucket list. Um, Hoosiers fans are smart. They love their crimson and cream. From the candy striped pants to the steep sides, wooden benches, and the fervor that place gets whipped into for a big game, a la the Watford game. If you don't know what I'm talking about, IU Kentucky, back when Crean was coach. That's an absolute must-go-to for a game. Definitely on my Mount Rushmore. Ryan, what's your number three? Yeah, my number three is the same as yours, uh, Assembly. It's it's ginormous. I mean, you see it's so steep. Looks like a theater from the yeah, outside. Yeah, it does. It's, crazy. I mean, it's, a, it's a really cool venue. I, I really want to go there and watch a game just to have that experience. I don't care if it's a Michigan State IU game. I just want to go to experience. IU Purdue would be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that'd be but, sweet. Um, yeah, Bobby Knight turned that place into a zoo. Um, and st- it's stuck. They love their basketball in Indiana, that's for sure. Yeah, my number four, I would say, I got to say, like, I thought about six different places for this last spot on my Mount Rushmore, but one takes the cake based on former Spartan player and guest of the podcast, Steve Polonowski's first hand account, and that is Mackey Arena at Purdue. Polo says the place holds the sound down low, it's like cement around the bottom, and the roof is metal, so it reverberates that sound. And that it is an absolute home, home court edge type of place for the Boilers. Plus, what else do they have to consistently cheer for so they go crazy? That's my number four. My runner-ups were, maybe one of these will be Ryan's, Hinkle Fieldhouse, Rupp Arena, The Barn, Cameron Indoor, which is on Ryan's list, or The Dean Dome. Yeah, I actually had The Dean Dome and um, Rupp on my on my runner-up list, but my number four was The Fog, uh, Kansas. Mm, good that place is always sold out. I mean, Kansas is good every year. They're going to be no different this year. Uh, it's always loud, um, and it gets just crazy in there. And they, I mean, they won like 15 Big 12 regular season titles in a row. So it's crazy. And then my runner, my underrated one was Mackey. Um, so that place is loud. You can always tell on TV. And Michigan State never wins there. Or right. So Madison Square Garden would be one too. It's not a college basketball arena, but those Big East. Classic Big East championships and stuff that like Syracuse Georgetown back in the '80s. That would have been a pretty sweet place to go yeah. watch a game as well. That's another Mount Rushmore in the books. Moving on to spot number five. <clears throat> spot number five. We're going to go with a, a golf course review. Um, and this week it's going to be the Saskatoon Gold to Silver. So um, I'll let Ryan weigh in here in a second. I'm I'm going to give just the tiny sneak peek of an overview and then we'll just kind of back and forth this one we actually got in three rounds uh, um over the the long weekend that just passed two from courses i think we've already reviewed makatawa legends here in holland and boulder creek our home course in belmont um but the third one was a kind of sort of hidden gem in southeast kent county um with the right grounds crew this now 45 hole expanse could be a true gem and I'll say for 46 bucks a man, weekday rate given, um, it is well worth the play. For those in the West Michigan area, you've probably played here, but may not have known the newest nine, the Silver, just opened up for like four days a week, I think Ryan said, um, in the past month or so. The Gold was previously the newest of nines and has been around for quite a while and now has a match pair, leaves the Red as kind of the odd man out. Um, although I think the new nine should have definitely been given another year to mature, it is a blast to play. Um, it has a definite up north feel to it, a tight but fair course. 
at about 3,000 yards from the Blues and par 35. The card makes it seem like it will be a breeze, but uh, not so fast. The par 5s are short, but they're tricky. Um, they can trip you up. The par 4s are a mix of kind of tricky dog legs or super long, um, as in they're almost as long as the par 5s. And the, the three 3s are a nice mix as well. Very good course with a ton of potential, but definitely needs some time to grow. Ryan, what's your what's your over overview? Yeah, I'll start with the gold. Um, supposed to be a link style course. Uh, the first three holes are not very linksy. I mean, this classic Saskatoon, right? Cut through the trees. Um, really fun course to play, though. I mean, a really good mix of long holes, short ones. Um, I mean, some short par threes, but then also some long ones where you have to hit hybrid off of, which is. It's always fun to mix it up where it's not just all 200 yards or 130, 150 yards. Um, but, yeah, the gold was in good shape. Um, you know, I think number two is my favorite one on that nine. Dog leg right a little bit, and there's water down the hole right side, so you kind of got to go over that on your drive. Um, but, yeah, just a fun fun nine there. And then the silver, like you talked about, um, brand spanking new. I think it opened like two weeks ago maybe and opened four days a week. Um, definitely need some growing. Um, you can tell in spots. I mean, the greens are cut kind of weird, but and it's in the shade, so I mean, it's going to be tough to grow the grass. And I just fear they're going to get it too beat up and never be able to catch. Yeah, I, I really hope that they dumb it down to maybe two or three days a week where you can play it, and maybe on days like a a Tuesday, a Wednesday, and a Friday or something, or a Monday, yeah, Wednesday, not Friday. High play days, no so, league stuff, no outing. So people stuff. can get on it and see what's like in kind of get that word of mouth going but then also they can do what they need to with it because I, I this has potential to be i think it'll be their best nine in the end um mm -hmm. it's the most fun um it has an up north feel to it like you said it's tight those big white pines um good mix i mean three par threes one really short then a little longer one and then like a 200 yard plus one which is a good mix there like i said before some dog legs uh shorter par fours Par fives aren't overly long, but very hilly. Um, but yeah, the silver. This thing could be a beast once they get to grow up. I mean, it, yeah, the trees are no joke. It's, it's tight. It's pretty firm already, which is good. Um, but like like all the holes on this nine, I I, I mean, just unique. Uh, I think my favorite one on this was, I think it was number what number is that number four dog leg left par five. Mm -hmm. um, that was my favorite one. That one's fun. Um, but yeah, this it's really good. Um, you know, I'd say we'll do the green ranking thing. I think I'd give them a three and a half overall, just because. I mean, they're still growing. Gold were pretty good. I mean, a little slow because morning dew and whatnot, rain the night before, but in really really good shape. Um, very green, not really beat up, which is cool. Yeah, soft, a little slow, but <laughs> yeah, in good shape. What what are other things we usually do like? Um, um, greens, variety. if you want to jump ahead, variety. Yeah. yeah, variety, I'd say four and a half. I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, mix of short and long, which is kind of cool. I think the the white and the blue is more more mellow with that, more similar holes. But I think the, the gold and silver is a good job mixing it up. Um, yeah, would it be Scenery. Scenery? Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd say 3.75. I mean, the gold's not really anything crazy, but the... The silver was very pretty with the trees, like I said, and the, the kind of ravine comes into play um, on on one of the par threes there. I think number uh, number it six came into play for you because you just shoved it into the 
Yeah, yeah right. Well, on that one, yeah, I forgot about. I was thinking about number six, where he had to cross over. Oh yeah, about, like Diamond and number Springs four and too, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's what I've got for it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. So best hole, I'll give you one per side. I, since I didn't really give the gold any love in my overview, and the gold is a good. It's a good course. It's different. You know, six of the holes really are very different than the blue and the white. If you're used to playing those, or if you've ever played those. Um, but number two on the gold, Ryan talked about that. It's just um, just over 300 yards as the crow flies, but a strategic tee box with a big tree off the right makes big hitters have to slug a precise cut to a green that is flanked left by trees and right by water. It's a big sweeping dog leg, not like a 90 degree. It's a fun one with multiple ways to play it, I would say. Um, you know, you got a lot of chances there, but you don't have a lot of margin for error. On the silver, for me, it's got to be number seven, 460 yard par four. Trees down the left, the fairway filters left to right. There's a forest right. You got to keep it right because it's a slight dog leg left home. The green gets the most sun probably on the course, so it's also by far in the best shape of them all. Um, that is just a great golf hole, no matter what course you're talking about. All right, worst hole or hole I'd change. I know you didn't talk about this, Ryan, or eliminate. I really wouldn't change or dump any holes on either nine, honestly. But again, I'd let the greens grow up in, in and up before I let too many more people play the silver. Um, gold was a little probably too wet. I think the guy that was mowing the lawn that stopped to talk to us said they got like I don't know, a little over a quarter of an inch of rain the night before, and they probably were in their sprinklers too, so that might be why. But um, nothing I'd really get rid of. Greens, they were super soft on the gold. They were definitely, they were nice. I mean, they rolled nice. They were a little slow. Um, they were super sparse on the silver. Never known for its greens. Saskatoon needs to focus here to bring the course up to par with what it could be. I'm just going to go with a 2.5 here. I mean, that's a little unfair for the silver because it's new. But um, if they put half their time into the greens that they do building nine holes courses there, they could have something really special there. A variety, I'll go a little higher here. There are some beastly par fours, some gettable par fives, and a good use of the land for some fun dog legs. I'll give variety a solid 3.75. Scenery, like Ryan said, very pretty. And like I also said, an up north feel to it. A little different than the blue and the white, which are a lot more of the white pines. There's kind of a mix of that with some other classic hardwood in there. A little bit, you know, a creek kind of going through. I'll give that a 3.5. Overall, plenty of potential. Um, but with a ton of outings and leagues and the silver open a little too soon, I can't go more than a 3.25 overall right now. I do think this particular 18 has a chance to be special if the ground crew can work some magic. So we will definitely be back. Probably wait till next year when the greens are a little bit more predictable. All right, as we always do, let's end with a sprint. Number one, Ryan, fan of preseason college football magazines or no? I was, but not anymore. Thing you are most looking forward to this college football season? I just cannot wait for loud and full stadiums. That is, That just gets me going. I'm so excited for that. Better all-star competition. Home run contest, three-point contest, dunk contest, skills contest in the NHL. What? Definitely slam dunk. All right, and 90s movie you could or do watch over and over and over and over. Movie I've watched over and over since I was a little kid, and that's Little Giants. Uh, classic one. 
right, for me, fan of preseason college football magazines, just like Ryan, I used to be, not anymore. It's all based on name brands. Forget it. It's junk. Nobody does any real research. Half the rosters are old. Thing I'm most looking forward to, I'm like Ryan, um, full stadium. There's lots of things to look forward to. My biggest thing is full stadium singing the MSU fight song for the first time in two years. Better all-star competition. You know, they each kind of have their place. And for me, it used to be the dunk contest, but I'm going to go to the NBA three-point contest. That's probably truly the most skilled of the three, I think. Um, 90s movie I could or do. In fact, I was watching one of them tonight over and over and over again. So many classics to choose from. Um, This one is a coin flip for me between Forrest Gump and the Shawshank Redemption. I still remember seeing it when it came out 27 years ago this past weekend. I watched it again tonight before the podcast, Forrest Gump. All right, Ryan, give us some final social media reminders. Yeah, just a reminder to follow us on Twitter at the Final Score 35. Um, That's all I got for you. Uh, Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys. That's it for this week. We've got more than enough to talk about to get us to football season. As Ryan said, share your ideas, your likes, your dislikes, etc. via our Twitter. And if you have a hot topic for us to debate, let us know. Gladly work it into our Around the World or maybe a podium session. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, remember... Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get.